morning we're continuing in our series, um, Your Life, You Choose. And um, I want to read a verse of scripture before I even actually jump into this today. In John 16, in the 13th verse. And um, I, just, I just had, I, I, this verse of scripture has really been speaking to me a lot lately. In, in a lot of different ways. And it's a long verse, but there's a lot in it. For, for, a, for a verse, it's a long verse. And um, in John 14, 15, and 16, Jesus is teaching His disciples about the fact that He was fixing to leave, and when He leaves, that He's going to leave a, another helper, a comforter, one that's going to be there for them. What, what, what in other words, um, the Apostle Paul said it like this in Romans 8, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is what is going to live inside of you. And, and, and so you'll be empowered with that. And, and, and looking at the person of the Holy Spirit, this is the advantage that you and I have in life. Verse 13. However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will tell you things to come. He will reveal to you the truth of everything. One of the major battles, and the reason I'm reading this verse is because of what we're talking about today. One of the major battles that you come up against every single day are the thoughts that try to tell you the way something is in your life or something that you're experiencing. Those thoughts try to tell you the way something is when the Holy Spirit knows the truth about everything. I'm going to say it again. Holy Spirit knows the truth about everything. And He said He would disclose and reveal to you what the truth is about everything in life. You, you, you may be experiencing something. You may be going through something. You may be you know, battling something in your life and you wake up in the morning and these thoughts are just right there in your head trying to tell you something. Those thoughts are trying to tell you that what you see and how you feel are more real than what God has promised you. That's why we have to believe in the Spirit of God that's in us. We have to trust the God inside of us. When I'm trusting the God inside of me, then I'm listening to the, the voice of, of my Spirit, which is my conscience. It's the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to my spirit and telling me things in my head from inside of me to my head, telling me what the truth is so that I don't have to believe lies. We have to believe this. You, you, you cannot move forward if you're listening to lies. Not God's way. You can figure it out for yourself and try to do your best or whatever. But if you're going to do it God's way, you cannot move forward if you're listening to lies. So, today, as we jump into our foundational scriptures that we've been looking at in, in James 3 and Proverbs 18, I want to kind of look at a couple of other things kind of adding to what we've talked about. If you haven't listened to these messages, you need to go back and go to the website, listen, and, and either download them or just listen to them. They don't cost you a thing. I encourage you to go back and listen to them and pay attention to them because there, there's a lot in these messages that are liberating 
for you because it empowers you to choose life on a daily basis. That's what we're after. Can you say amen to that? James chapter 3 and verse 2. For we all stumble in many things, and if anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, everybody say, even so. Even so, the tongue. Even so, what? As what? As the, ho- the bit in the horse's mouth, as the rudder to the ship. Even so, the tongue is a little member. It boasts of great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. Even so, the tongue, the way that the bit in the horse's mouth directs the horse, and the rudder in a ship directs the ship, even so our tongue is, is like the steering wheel of our life. You don't like the direction that you're moving in life? God said, begin to change what you say, and it will change direction of the, uh, uh, it'll change the direction of where you're going. You and I have the ability to change that. In Proverbs 18 and verse 21, it, it just confirms what I'm saying. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Those who love it will eat the fruit of it. Death and life are in the power of what we say. Death or destruction, life or blessing, or a way being paved for you is in the power of what you say. So if all I'm doing is saying and talking about what I see and how I feel, And not only am I saying that out of my mouth when I'm by myself, but I'm letting everybody else on the planet know how I feel, then your life is moving in a direction that actually empowers self-pity. It it, it empowers selfishness. Uh, It it empowers uh, an inwardness looking at just what pertains to you. And in the book of James, we're not reading it today, but where we were, and even in the first chapter, and and throughout the the whole third chapter, it talks about being a person that is only about themselves. When you're a hearer of the word and not a doer of that word, then you're only focused on things that are just near to you. You're not focused on on things that are really important in life to to God. God. God's got your life. Actually, God has your life, but God has your life when you let Him have your life. When you cast every care, when you're being a doer of the Word, He has your life. Your life is wrapped up in the Word of God coming out of your mouth. He's got your life. But there's no Word coming out of your mouth, and all you're focused on are the things that are just pertaining to you, and you're letting not only that come out of your mouth in your presence, but everybody else's presence then it's creating an atmosphere around you that is focused on you. And the only time it appears like, the only time that you're happy is when everybody else is concerned about you. Now, I'm saying that because that'll never happen because no matter what someone else does for you, when you're looking for self-pity and you're looking from things on the outside instead of internally learning how to trust the God inside of you, people can never do enough. 
They can do everything and every. I mean, I mean, it seems like, I mean, we took care of everything and then something that they didn't do. And you'll forget all the other things they did and focus on the one little thing that they didn't do. Why? Because you're internally focused on yourself instead of internally focused on the person of the Holy Spirit who is there to reveal all truth to you and liberate your life from anything that you deal with on a day-to-day basis. There's not anything that's not covered under the blood that was represented in this little cup that we partook of. He said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of what I did for you and how I have empowered you to be free and liberated in everything you do. Can you say amen? So today, I want to look at this a little deeper, and I want to look at an example in the Old Testament that's a real familiar story to most people. People that don't know anything about the Bible, don't even go to church, they know this story. Everybody knows this story, and we're going to look at it in a minute. But I want to look at a couple of verses of Scripture, three verses actually, that support what I'm saying, and then I want to look at this whole story. We're going to spend some time just the rest of the service in this one story. Um, In Revelation chapter 12, Revelation 12, and verse 11, and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, And by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. They overcame who? They overcame the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimonies. Has Jesus Christ already overcome the enemy? Absolutely. What is he talking about? What what does my confession, my testimony, my declaration, what do what what I say have to do with any of that if Jesus has already overcome? Because there's a spiritual overcome, we've overcome spiritually, but then there's a day-to-day soulish overcoming in our soul day-to-day that is determined by what I say. So Jesus did his part, he overcame by his blood. We just read it out of Hebrews 9, right? He overcame. The, the, what the, the blood of goats and bulls did was good, but nothing like what Jesus Christ did and what he accomplished. He did his part. Now what I'm talking about is what our part is. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony and did not love their lives to the, even to the death. When I get out of myself and I'm over into what I'm saying day to day, it produces something that the world has never known. I'm telling you, it's, we talk about it in our Ephesians class that we've been doing on Monday nights. We've been talking about the, the hidden things, the things that have been hidden, the mystery that's been hidden from the ages, which is what? It's Christ in me. The hope of the world is Christ in me. The hope and the answer to everything on the planet is Christ in you and I. See, when when Christ and who He is and His anointing is real because of the things that I say day to day, there is a mystery that is revealed. And 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 it's, it's, it's not a mystery like a Sherlock Holmes novel. It's not a mystery like that. Because... With, you know, any detective 
type mystery. Um, yeah, th- th- there's a bad guy, and there's somebody looking for the bad guy, but the guy that's looking for the bad guy's got to find all the clues to try to figure out. And it, I mean, and yet when you're reading it, you know Sherlock's going to find it at the end. How many know that? But I'm just telling you today, I'm not Sherlock. I don't have to find all the clues. It's right here. It's in me. I've got the It's already been revealed by His Spirit. What am I doing to making sure that I'm seeing clearly what God's already done? We're not trying to find the bad guy. He's already been found. He's destroyed. Has no power. God just wants it working that way in our lives on a day-to-day basis. My part is getting my words in life. That's what's been hidden. That's the thing that's hidden in the world today. It's actually hidden in a lot of the church because a lot of the church doesn't realize how to make disciples. You can't make disciples without the Word. And the Word won't disciple a person, even if they have it up here, if they don't do something with it. So you can't back off and you got to spend 95% of your time reminding people you have to do this thing. You can't just hear it. You have to do it, you can't just hear it. Proverbs 6 says this. Um, No, Proverbs 12, 6 says this. And I'm going to read this in the NIV. The words of the wicked lie in wait for blood. Well, that's the absolute truth. Meditate on that for a while. But the speech of the upright rescues them. The words of the wicked lie in wait for blood, but I'm telling you, the words that I pray over the wicked today, man, they're rescuing them. The words that I pray over people that are are, are not clued in and don't have enough revelation, the words that I'm praying today, they're rescuing people. Amen? You know why? Because I believe it. The hours that I spend in prayer for people today, like I never have, especially in the last few years, like I never had before, I, I had spent time, but not time like I spend now. Because I believe that my words are rescuing people. I got a text earlier this morning from a guy thanking me in another state for the word that I preach because he said it's liberating my life. Well, that person I pray for every day, and I've prayed every day for a long time that his eyes would be opened up to see clearly the things that God wanted him. And so, I mean, I'm saying that today, and we'll delete that off the tape, but I'm saying it today because you don't get credit for something that you do that you're supposed to do. But when you get a text like that, you know what you're doing is working. And it makes you want to do it more and more and more and more. I'm rescuing people. People's lives are being liberated and free every day. Not because of how hard I work to change them, but because of what I say. What I say. My word. What did he say? How did he say that? The speech of the upright, it rescues people that need to be rescued. Saved or unsaved? You need to be rescued. 
What you say will rescue. That's what I'm saying. 2 Corinthians 4.13. This is in the New King James. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, what was written in the past, back there, actually talking, actually talking about anybody that had faith. I mean, Abraham, yeah, but actually anybody that had faith. And, and the story we're going to read here in a moment is about the faith. What, 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 what 2 Corinthians 4.13 is saying has to do with the faith of this guy. And, and what, what I'm reading the story for is I want you to see yourself in this guy. And, and I want you to be able to break down your life and the things that, and the obstacles and the enemies against you and how to overcome those are based on what we say ahead of time. And since we have the same spirit of faith according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke we also believe and therefore speak. So notice, notice, <clears throat> the speaking that changes things is the speaking that is done as a result of what you believe. And I'll just tell you this. The way you entered into the kingdom, the way you entered into the kingdom through believing and then speaking is the way that you maintain victory on a day-to-day -day basis. You believe, you speak. But how do you believe? By speaking. So you speak, you begin to believe, and you speak. You speak, and you begin to believe, and you speak. The reason you develop a routine day-to-day -day in your life of, of speaking and declaring the Word of God is so that your thinking changes so that you can allow what the Holy Spirit inside of you is saying to your human spirit and, and, and re, 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 relaying to your mind so that your mind and, 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 and it processes from your mind and your body begins to do what your spirit man is saying, not just what thoughts and things say at, on, on the top of your head because... There are lies that come to your head and those lies will try to convince you that what you see is more real than what he's promised. But when I begin to speak the word and I begin to believe that greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world, then I believe that when I find a situation where the greater one doesn't look like he's really that great, but I'm reminding myself that he said he is no matter what it looks like, then when I find myself in those situations, all of a sudden in here he begins to say, no, I got this covered, okay? No, 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 I got this, okay? No, I got this. No, but, but if you're listening to the lies and you're not doing anything with the lies, then the lies are going to get the best of you and you'll never hear that. You'll never get what he's trying to tell you. He wants to lead us into all truth, but we will never hear that if all we ever do is listen to this and we don't have anything coming out of our mouth. The words out of my mouth... They rescue me, and they rescue everybody else that I'm speaking over every day. Can you say amen? Now, my story. 1 Samuel, chapter 17. Who do you think my story is about? One of those Old Testament guys. 
<clears throat> now, I'm going to say this to you. It's important when, when you have something coming against you, you have something, let's say, physically coming against your body. It's important how you acknowledge what is coming against you. If you have symptoms in your physical body, if there are symptoms coming against you, you, you've got to be aware of how important it is to verbalize things according to how God says you are. We're, we're not talking about ignoring and not admitting to what it is that you're facing. If, you, if you've got pain in your body and you say you don't have pain, you're lying. Did you hear me? I'm going to say it again. If you have pain in your body and you're, you, you're telling somebody, no, I don't have any pain, then you're lying. But what we're learning to do, what God showed us in His Word that we've got to learn to do, is we have to learn how to acknowledge the fact that there's an issue and a problem, but what we want to know from the Word is what the answer is so that I put out there what the answer is, so what I'm, what I'm actually doing, I'm calling something that appears to be a certain way as though it's not that way. You understand? And, and what I'm doing is now I'm calling those things which aren't as though they are through the Word of God. If the Bible says I'm well, then I'm well no matter how I feel. So you have to be really cautious of the way you acknowledge things, not just physically, but in every way, things that are coming against you. I'm not giving in to something. Have you ever... <clears throat> You ever desired to be a part of, say, a certain group of people, maybe an organization or maybe just friends? People are friends and they act like they don't even know you're alive and you'd like to be a part of them and, and, and you don't even want to admit the fact you'd like to be a part of that group, but you'd kind of like to be, but, but yet you've so convinced yourself you wouldn't be because all you do is talk about how much you don't like them. What would happen if you just started speaking blessing over their lives? You say, well, you know, what, what does that have to do with it? Stop and think about it. How many people do we think we have the right to talk about and talk ugly about and speak down about because they appear to not like things about us? I mean, could the truth, remember what the verse of Scripture that I read to you earlier? Could the truth of the whole situation be that they're just misunderstanding you because, you know, if you'd like to be their friend, but yet you're not being their friend and you're kind of mad at them and you probably have an attitude toward them and you've got facial expressions, so they think you hate their guts and so maybe the truth of the matter is you need to clean up your act. I don't know why I'm giving you that example, but anyway... Do you hear, hear what I'm saying? I mean, I mean let, let's stop and think about it. Stop and think about it for a minute. How many lies of the enemy do we pay attention to and listen to on a daily basis? I just say, let, let's, 
around here, let's just say, no more. No more. Not listening to another lie. There's too much to do. There's too much at stake. We got too much to accomplish. We can't listen to lies. How many say amen to that? So, let's look at my story. There's a lot of verses here. There's a lot said, so I'm just going to skip. So, verse 1. We're talking about David. 1 Samuel 17 and verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle and were gathered in wherever that was and all these other places. And um, the Philistines, skip, skip a couple of verses. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with a valley between them, and a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Goth, whose height was six cubits and a span. And if you look at any measurements, the guy was about almost ten feet tall. Well, actually, one, one of the, one of the uh, translations of the Bible, that's what it said, almost ten feet tall, about nine foot nine. Now, who's, anybody ever stood up to someone that's seven foot tall? Anybody in here? You've been close to somebody that's seven foot tall. Put your hand way up high. Seven foot. Okay. This guy's almost, not three inches, he's almost three feet taller than the tallest guy most of us in here have stood up against. You ever stood by Yao Ming? Yeah, he was what? Seven, six, seven, six. So, so still two feet taller than the tallest guy anybody in here has ever stood up against. Two feet! And, uh, and, and so that, that's how big he was. And he, he had a bronze helmet on his head and he was armed with a coat of mail and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. He, the, the, what he had on weighed about 150 pounds. I mean, think about that armor being on, if it was on me, you know. I'm headed to battle. I mean, there's no fighting. I mean, this is a big guy. Amen? And, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to skip a little bit. But not only was he big, but he was really trained. So, th- this is just my basketball world that I lived in. So, there's tall guys in basketball, um, but they're horrible. And then there's tall guys that can play. Well, this was like a really tall basketball player that, you know, I mean, could twirl in the air about five times and, and then turn around and dunk it. I mean, I mean, this guy could do it all, right? But he was trained in war, in battle. He could do anything and everything. He wasn't just a big, tall, dopey kind of guy standing around and what, what do you want me to do? You know, no, he knew what he was doing. And for 40 days, twice a day, 80 times in 40 days, he comes out to the children of Israel and he says all kinds of things. Cusses their God. You bunch of weaklings, you bunch of wimps. I mean, I could use a, I mean, I'm sure that that Goliath here used a lot of four-letter words trying to describe what a bunch of weaklings and a bunch of wimps and you bunch of this and a bunch of that. Where is somebody that's going to come out here and meet me? Who's going to stand up for Israel? Even if I take them out, who's going to come and do it? I mean, they're all whining and crying. And every time he comes out, they all run. 
One passage of Scripture said that Israel was battling with the Philistines. They weren't battling. They were running. They were a bunch of whiny, bunch of runny-nosed little whatevers. Thinking they're all this until Goliath comes along and now everybody's scared. Everybody's scared. You ever been scared? You ever been up against something that looks nine feet nine? And it looks like everything's against you and there's no way it's impossible? That's why you got to know the Word of God. Hmm? When something looks impossible with our God, that's when God kicks in. So when you can't do it, He can. When it seems like there's no way, He makes a way where there seems like there's no way. And in this situation with Israel, that's the way it seemed to this nation. I'm going to skip way down. So, David has eight brothers. And his dad, he's the youngest. He's probably 16 at the time, so he's a teenager. And uh, he's kept his father's sheep. And, which was a big responsibility, but he kept the sheep and he made sure that nothing hurt or harm those sheep and actually he killed a bear and a lion everybody say a lion huh well when they described the lion that he killed the the lion had a beard what does that mean it was a big male Hmm? it wasn't a little bear cub a, a little lion cub he killed a bear a big bear big bear i don't know if you've ever seen a bear or not but i've run from a bear not very far it's only about a 15 feet and i got inside but I ran from him. <clears throat> he was big, and, and big, and big, and he was after food, and he was ready to tear the house down, the cabin down that I was in, you know, and, and he was big, okay, but David killed the bear and the lion, took him out, so David's dad wants to know how the battle's going, because his brothers are over there, and uh, so he said, uh, take some of this food, and feed them all, and give them that stuff, and, and, and bring me a report back. So David says, yeah, David makes, you know, the scripture says that David made sure that those sheep were taken care of. He left somebody to take care of those sheep. So the sheep were taken care of, and David goes to the battle to see what's happening. They, they, they had no report, you know, that wasn't CNN and Fox, and you didn't know what was going on, you know. They, they, they'd be all, that, if there was a battle like that, it'd be all over the news, but there wasn't any news. So they did, I mean, they're, they're a pretty good distance away. This has been going on for 40 days. And uh, so his dad wanted to hear about it. And so he gets there. Um, For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array army against army. And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper and he ran to the army and he came and greeted his brothers. Then as he talked with them, there was the champion, the, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines, and he spoke according uh, to the same words. And so David heard them, and all, so in other words, Goliath's out here cussing their God and speaking down and all this kind of thing, and, and he's saying the same thing he's been saying for 40 days, and uh, then as he talked with them, there was the champion, oh, let's see. and so David heard them, and all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, they fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, 
Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel, and it shall be that the man who kills him, the king, will enrich him with great riches, will give him his daughter, and give his father's house an IRS tax-exempt slip. Forever. No more IRS. Forever. And this is a 16-year-old kid, okay? Then David spoke to the men who stood with him, saying, Now, what did you say that the, the king's going to give? The guy that kills this guy? Now listen to me. Listen. David knows they've been out there for 40 days. And he heard what Goliath said. And then they say, you know, they, and, they, and they're probably telling him, man, this has been going on for 40 days. And, and David is there, and this is what I'm thinking. He's going, you know, because some people think, well, you know, David's thinking about the king's daughter. Well, maybe. But I'm thinking, he's thinking, the king offered all that and nobody's gone out to meet him? Nobody's doing anything about this? What, what's wrong? No, no, watch what he said. Um, David says, so what shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the approach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? What if the enemy of debt is staring you in your life? Should you talk about how big the debt is? Or should you talk about how great God is? What if something physically has attacked your body? I mean, I mean a big giant, something that you've gotten a report, and they say this and that and the other. Should we be talking about how bad the report is or should we be talking about how great God is? You need to call whatever your enemy against your life is is some uncircumcised thing that Jesus has already liberated me from. He said, this uncircumcised Philistine, that he should defy the armies of God and the people answered him in this manner saying, so shall it be done for the man who kills him. They, they told him again. You know, that he gets the king's daughter, he gets riches, and, and, and no more IRS. Right? So they tell him again. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard him, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David, and he said, why is he all of a sudden mad? Because he's challenging this thing. Listen, when there's doubt and unbelief, when there's fear, when there's all the stuff that goes contrary to the things of God, and then faith walks in the door? Oh my gosh. When faith walks in the door, man, it stirs up all kinds of stuff. And that's what happened here. Here's a guy, David's not coming to the battle to try to get something from it. He's not trying to get enlisted. He's coming to bring his dad a report. And he's shocked that the whole nation of Israel, all the trained soldiers, are running like little babies every time Goliath comes out and says something. 
He's shocked. And now his brother's angry with him, you know. Why aren't you taking care of those few sheep, those measly little sheep? Well, David made sure somebody took care of the sheep because it was a big deal to him to the point that he killed a bear and a lion and took them out. Can you say amen? Whatever needs to be done to protect what God has promised me and promised us, we're going to protect it. And how do we do that? By what we say. Same spirit is in us. We believe, we speak, they, they, they believe, they speak. Here David believed, he spoke, same spirit's in me. Now that spirit that was on David is inside of me, and the way David believed and spoke, I believe and speak and get the same results. Now, to the end of this little story, you go back and read the whole thing, I don't have time to do it. <clears throat> David's faith gets back to Saul. Saul says, bring David to me. David goes to Saul. Saul says what he says to David. And he said, David, there's no way he, he's a trained soldier. You're but a youth. And David says, yeah, but I killed a bear and a lion. And what I did to the bear and the lion is the same thing that I'll do to this uncircumcised Philistine. That's what he said. Now listen to me. When you think of 16-year-old versus a lion, lion wins every time. Right? You think of 16-year-old and a bear, bear wins every time. Unless... You have a 16-year-old who's believing the Word of God. Huh? Who believes in his God. But every other time, <laughs> lion and bear, they take him out. My friend Steve Kelly has a video. He was in Africa, and he has this video. I mean, I mean it, it, it grabbed me. Did you see that video? I mean, it grabbed me on the video. Much less, they were in the back of a truck. And they're out there, and there's a lion, and he's down the road. And all of a sudden, the truck's coming behind the lion as the lion is running. All of a sudden, the lion does this. I mean, in, in a matter of seconds, and I mean, probably from here to the, to the booth in the back is how far that lion was. In a manner of seconds, that lion is on top of that truck. Had they not had the top to that thing and pulled it down? I mean, the, the guide said, you know, he pulled both of the guys in, and it's all on the video, and he pulls it down, and that lion is on top of them. We're talking about that against a 16-year-old. He'll take the 16-year-old out every single time unless... He believes. And because David believed, this is what he said. The Lord delivered me from the paw of the lion. In verse 37. The Lord delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear. He will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said, David, go and the Lord be with you. 
David said, and he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And as you read on in that story, David didn't like hide behind a rock and decide how he was going to do. Maybe he'll, he'll come around him and jump on the back of his neck. No, David had grabbed five smooth stones. And he had his sling, which probably was a weapon of his that he had as a kid and he used or whatever. And I promise you that the distance that he threw that rock, that didn't have the power to lodge in his forehead and knock and, and, and cause him to fall to the ground in the natural. Why? Why did that happen? Because David believed. What I did to the lion and the bear because of the power of my God, I'll do to this uncircumcised Philistine. What I'm telling you today is, you and I have to see our lives the way that God sees our lives. And your life will never be able to overcome the enemies, the giants that are in the land, no matter what it is. I don't care what it is. You, you, take, you take Goliath as a giant and you, you break that down into the financial world, the physical world, the mental world, you know, uh, your destiny, uh, your, your, your future. All I don't care what it is. Whatever obstacle or giant is out there, you'll never overcome the obstacles. You'll never overcome the giants if you don't believe in what you say. And you will never believe in what you say until you have a daily routine reminding you of what God says is so. See, it's not, it's not mind over matter. It's not if I confess enough scripture, something's going to change. No. My daily confession is not to change circumstances. My daily confession is to change the way I think so that when I'm in a Goliath situation and I believe my sling and, and the rocks slung from my sling is going to do the same thing that it did for him because the same spirit that empowered David to do is the same spirit that lives in me. And as I believe and I say, I get the exact same results. But I'm going to say it to you again. My daily confessions that I do as a routine on a day-to-day -day basis are not to change the circumstances around me, but to change my thinking so that I can step into moments and times where I'm in faith in what I'm saying, and that changes my circumstances. Can you say amen?